This is Fair and Square, a podcast from Hudson Sandler. Welcome to episode five of Fair and Square, the Hudson Sandler podcast. I'm Charlie Jack and I lead the natural resources practice here at Hudson Sandler. In an age of environmentalism, large corporations face immense pressure from a wide range of stakeholders to operate in a sustainable manner. With the chequered past, mining has historically been very poorly rated for its environmental, social and governance performance. The demand for socially responsible investing is now rising rapidly, meaning that without structural change, certain components of the sector will become uninvestable. In this episode of Fair and Square, you'll hear from many senior representatives from the mining industry as we dig deep into the ESG issues facing the sector and evaluate the considerable challenges and opportunities available to those embracing change and adopting an ESG leadership position. Unsurprisingly, these ESG issues were front and centre at the recent annual Indaba conference in Cape Town, where the mining industry gathers to assess the issues of the day and where we were able to speak to some of the key players, including, amongst others, mining companies, investors, media and certain commentators. The Indaba event is a busy conference and I'm an inexperienced interviewer, so please forgive me for some of the sound quality on the clips you're about to hear. Starting with John Reed who heads market strategy at the World Gold Council. John set out the context for the ESG imperative confronting industry players. The point is, is that extractive industries do have an environmental and social impact. That should always be understood. Ultimately, it's about how you deal with that, that, that environmental, social and governmental um, impact. One of the things that we have noticed is these sort of questions are coming from investors even more frequently, not just about gold mining, but about gold itself. When I, when I make the case for gold to investors, one of the first questions they will often have is about the ESG uh, characteristics of gold. The mining companies report the same things to me as well. When I, when I chat to the CEOs, they say they're getting increasing interest in this topic, particularly as they're broadening their own marketing efforts to not just gold or traditional gold equity investors, but to more generalist investors too. But how profound are the implications of this trend? And how far should it be embedded into companies' operations? Tom Attenborough, Head of International Business Development at the London Stock Exchange, discusses what meaningful ESG reforms actually entail. This is Tom and why this can't just be posturing, but has to be incorporated into the heart of a company's corporate purpose. As far as the London Stock Exchange is concerned, We've tried to support issuers through a practical guide on ESG disclosure and what investors want to see disclosed. Partly it's around transparency, partly it's around the right data and consistency of data, of course. But I think more importantly than that, I think we're seeing a shift of mindset with companies. It's now not a separate area of disclosure. Wind back a couple of years and ESG was seen as something necessary to do in order to complete a box ticking exercise whereas now it needs to be increasingly front and centre of everything the company does. To not just have a separate report on ESG, but actually to have a coherent thread running through right from the chairman's report all the way to all the other disclosures companies are making. So I think the focus from investors is not purely around data, but also on culture and management leadership in this area, which is going to increasingly differentiate those that are seen as the winners and losers in ESG. With some debate in the market, as to whether companies are merely reacting to pressure 
or driving change in the industry, Tom goes on to explain. I think that companies are trying to drive the agenda, as that's the right thing to do. It's felt at times, and I've heard a comment earlier this week at Indaba, that the mining sector has been a little bit like a boxer on the ropes and the blows keep on coming. For companies, it's about trying to get on the front foot and change the narrative. Like everything, there's a spectrum of how people are doing on that. I think generally things are moving in the right direction. I think there's a recognition with most leaders that they need to get ahead of the trend and show investors that they live and breathe ESG issues. This will start to change the narrative around the long-term sustainability of their businesses. And also just how critical many of these companies are to the changes that the world is going to have to go through over the next 20 years as we move to decarbonise. The historic trend in which the mining industry has been passively buffeted from criticism to criticism has to change and is already shifting. Industry players have to lead, proactively targeting their ESG strategies to cater to the concerns of all stakeholders. Catherine Sutton of Kenmare Resources, operator of the MoMA Titanium Mineral Mine in Mozambique, told me about the impact of ESG on companies' profiles in the city and their access to equity and the importance of ESG ratings agencies. ESG is definitely a focus. I went to a panel yesterday on ESG and it's a question that we're getting asked more and more by investors and brokers. We've certainly heard from some of our key key shareholders that they're looking at those rating agencies such as Sustainalytics. We're already rated by a number of them and you know they won't stop looking at us just because we don't engage so therefore it's in our interest to really engage with them and ensure that the information they're producing is correct. Ian McClelland, Managing Director of the Investment Research and Consulting Firm Edison, paints a stark picture of the situation, particularly the sector's traditionally defensive approach. The mining industry historically has always, effectively, it's, it's trying to work under the regime of keep your head down, hopefully you don't get uh, too much press because most press is bad press and, you're, and, and if you don't have the, the overriding pressures on you then you can just get about your daily business. And, and I think that kind of works but it therefore means that you know, the, we've been conditioned, the, the industry I think has been conditioned to just be reactive rather than proactive, to, be, to, to try and mitigate any criticism. But against this legacy, low-key, disengaged style, how can the sector win over the hearts and minds of the investors and consumers of tomorrow and convince them of the mining sector's enduring relevance? Tom Hoskins, editor of Mining Journal, told me about the challenges of how the industry persuades millennials of the relevance of the industry and the role of technology. I think, again, it all ties into ESG. It's it's really the reputation of the industry we're talking about here. And I think until now, it's been a lack of knowledge about the industry that means miners don't really get a chance to win candidates over because it's not even in contention. It's not being considered by young people at the moment. So you've got the usual concerns about it generally being a sort of filthy business and you know raping and pillaging the earth. But then also you've got the additional factor of it being seen as a cyclical industry you know even in places like Australia you hear about educational institutions schools counseling kids away from mining because of the cyclicality and the massive job losses from um, you know when there's a commodity price crash which we saw fairly recently so you can't do much about that I think the reputational side is actually changing slightly ironically I think we can thank social media for that actually Um, in one sense 
there's there's the opportunity to really slate the sector for bad behavior but it's also made answering unfounded grievances a lot easier whether it's people sharing images of how life would look if it wasn't for mining so living in a cave or those messages where you know it sort of shows how much copper or steel or whatever the average person will consume during the lifetime you know sort of infographics that kind of thing i think that message is starting to filter through encouragingly much of the work is already being done companies are helping local communities and contributing to the prosperity of the regions in which they operate showing people the value of their participation and cooperation phil cleggett group development director at emerson plc a potash developer neatly describes this process by which mining companies work with communities as trusted allies who are invested in the local area. We do a huge amount of social programs. I've been involved in other companies previously and it's very clear that your social licence to operate is absolutely vital. Of course, um, if, if you're not satisfying this, this social responsibility then, then there are very few groups, whether it be small investors, large investors, debt providers, and through to consultants are willing to work with you. And that's of course the way it should be. I mean, personally, I'm Australian. We've been through a pretty bad time over the last six months with bushfires, and you're seeing it every day on the front page of the Australian papers that there's a clear public push for if a company is not responsible, we shouldn't be dealing with it on a personal or a, or a countrywide level. As indispensable as attaining permits from regulators to mine, Miners must also secure support and sponsorship of local communities. And mining companies should regard these as equal, if not greater, requirements for any project. Effective communications with local communities is now a must. But dialogue and collaboration shouldn't be limited to local communities. The gold industry is demonstrating how dialogue between competitors, the leveraging of an industrial community, can help sectors raise standards and proactively self-regulate. This is how John Reed at the World Gold Council described the work being done. We've seen the, the gold mining industry react, I think, pretty quickly. We've just completed a, a two-year uh, engagement process with our members and were able to launch last year what we call the RGMPs, or the Responsible Gold Mining Principles. Now, these principles aim to address all of the issues associated with ESG and gold mining, everything from communities, from from uh, CO2 emissions or greenhouse gas emissions to paying taxes to sell it to safety and I think it's one of the examples where gold mining companies have been able to come together and act collectively of course they, they, they compete fiercely when it comes to making new discoveries of gold or in terms of getting investors to buy their shares but the experience that the industry has had over the decades of collaborating on safety recognizing that you know, a bad accident at any mine is bad for the industry. So it's something that the, the, the mining companies have, have very much cooperated on uh, with each other to try and get best practice uh, uh, you know, spread through the industry. They're doing the same thing with ESG, recognizing again that it doesn't matter who it is, but if you have a bad, a bad ESG experience in a country or with a tailings dam or something like that, that affects everybody. But ESG is now also a critical plank of companies' ability to grow, partner with majors and access capital investment. And for the cynics who see good ESG performance as a costly distraction, Sergei Raevsky, a mining analyst at SP Angel, outlined how, in the case of junior miners, 
poor ESG credentials can impact companies' access to growth capital and restrict attention from larger industry peers that they may end up partnering. I mean, it has to be part of the every serious company's budget because once you de-risk the project to a certain level, you might attract attention of some majors, and it's important moving forward for the uh, M&A sustainable M&A activity. So, if you are not looking after that and uh, not investing in that, you are putting yourself out of this pool of potential targets. So, uh, it's definitely it's, well, it's a trend. It's a st- starting trend, and uh, I think I totally agree that it should continue. And it's only to the benefit of the companies, shareholders, all the stakeholders. It is clear that ESG improvements in the industry must be seismic and profound. And I was delighted to speak with the Right Reverend David Urquhart, Bishop of Birmingham, who attended in Darba, representing the Church of England, a major institutional investor in the sector. The Church's involvement in ESG reforms showcased the power of investor-industry collaboration that came to the forefront following the Vale Tailings Dam disaster and how this provided an opportunity to make real change. The Brumadino Tailings Dam's failure made world news and it was very visual with uh, someone managing to capture the sludge breaking away and then overwhelming buildings and people and cars with obvious not just threat to life but fatal effect and uh, that uh, was alongside a very long-term effort from investors like the Church of England's Pension Board and Church Commissioners and others across responsible investing uh, to to see the extractives industry as, as an industry which although rather like banking with a rather low perception, reputation across the public um, as one which was vital uh, to not only investors and and industry but also to the benefit of the uh, human flourishing over the next decades. Some critics would say that the big operators were not putting into practice protocols that had been there for a while. Uh, These new uh, or renewed protocols uh, may not have been taken seriously enough by some of the biggest operators. Um, and so uh, when you've got as important a company as Vale, not only in terms of investment, but also in terms of its product, you know, iron ore is being needed, needed everywhere, um, it, it seems to us unacceptable yeah. that, that the, what was patently obvious, and it almost really seemed to have been agreed, had not been put into practice. The bishop acknowledged the progress made and the importance of confronting the issue head on. The pace of change, and this is probably the critical thing at the moment. Uh, And so in the meetings we've had with investors, with scientists, academics and and company leaders, uh, the seriousness is there. But how you then move into uh, the ambition of a global standard that that actually can be be understood and, and implemented across the industry is a very big ambition indeed. And what you include in that protocol so at the moment, we've, we've gone for the, the whole package uh, to try and say, is this, can, can we tidy this up completely? Because it's not acceptable uh, to put lives at risk, let alone lose lives, because of this manageable area. But what has been the response from the wider investment communities to this initiative? Extraordinary. And I think this is true, in fact, across all sorts of sectors, uh, that the pension funds... Uh, Swedish Pension Fund is a, is a main partner in yep. this. 
um, also the coalition around principles for responsible investing are there and then and then it's interesting that local authority pension funds mm -hmm. uh, particularly in the UK have spotted the injustice and the the risk to human life in in a disaster like the Medina and they've come right right in on this and wanting to to be vocal and participate in real change the bishop's words bring home the importance of communication in all of this ESG is only achievable through the gathering of stakeholders and collaboration. I asked Bishop David about the broader opportunity for the church to evaluate other areas of safety to ensure that all mining personnel buy into a comprehensive culture of zero harm. I'm very impressed with those companies who are transparent about, about the risk and about what's happening mine by mine. I'm very aware that the responsibility, however good your protocols are, lands with the mine manager. Uh, it also it also lands on 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 the culture of the of the workforce and how that operates, and I think the honesty of showing the movement in the right direction is what matters. And we've heard that at the Adaba on the stage sometimes, where a mining company will say, "Look, we lost lives ten years ago at this number. We've now reduced it by a factor of seventy or eighty percent. We're still not perfect." but we're moving in the right direction. And I think that sort of leadership is really responsible. Reflecting on the ultimate moral duties of society and the role of technology, Bishop David reminded us of the underlying ethical responsibility that the mining industry has. I, I think there should be a divine impatience at injustice and unrighteousness. And we're all human, we're all in this human adventure together. And that's the great insight of globalization and also the digital age. You know, something's wrong, someone can take a photograph of it. Uh, yeah. someone, something's wrong, a member of the public can, can tweet it. Now that goes the wrong way because we then indulge bad behavior, but in terms of justice and, and righteous behavior, uh, the, the world can be a very transparent place that there should be nowhere to hide. Uh, for people who are trying to make a quick buck or trying to have an easy life because of their power to get their job done at the expense of another human life. Also, our approach is one, if we have a concern with a company that we're invested in, we will come face to face first and discuss it because what we're interested in is raising standards, not withdrawing simplistically from this essential industry. What is clear from all the insightful conversations I had recently and at Indaba is that shying away from best practice ESG initiatives is a time-limited solution for mining companies. With fast-growing scrutiny from regulatory bodies, industry initiatives, millennial consumers and a wide range of investors, it is wise to think early about what standards to adopt and how to turn those challenges into opportunities by making ESG an integral part of your business strategy. That concludes this episode of Fair and Square. Thanks very much for listening and thanks to all the people who gave me their time and insights. You can find out more details about this episode via our website, hudsonsandler.com and by following us on Twitter, at Hudson Sandler. To find out more about Hudson Sandler, our team, our culture and our thinking, visit our website, hudsonsandler.com. Hudson Sandler.